0: You're listening to the Handmade CEO Podcast. My name is Maria Lauren, small business owner and creative entrepreneur. Each week, we'll discover the steps and motivation that inspire our guests to create income from their skills. Get ready to start learning how to creatively pursue your dream job by crafting it yourself. Thank you for tuning in to episode 68. Have you ever wondered if you should trademark your business name or if your products should carry a warning or disclosure? Today's guest will answer all of your legal questions and the best part, she is so down to earth and approachable. If you've ever felt intimidated to contact an attorney, I think Nuzaira will put your worries to rest and the best part, she works virtually. Hi Nuzaira, thank you for joining me today. Hi, Maria.
1: It's an absolute pleasure to be on your show.
0: So I imagine that the most overlooked part of a small business, especially for those craft style businesses, is their legal knowledge. And I was wondering if you could tell us how you found your passion for law and how you decided to create a business out of it.
1: Absolutely. So I'll go back, I think, back into my like high school days. So I used to love uh, doing debates, and I liked watching legal dramas uh, at that age, like Boston Legal. And so I thought, oh, my God, this world is so much fun, so exciting. They get to debate for a living. I mean, I was such a nerd, I thought like that was exciting. So (laughs) I decided, okay, I'm going to go to law school. And what I wanted to be kind of changed every year. It just so happened that at that year, when I had to pick a major, I wanted to be a lawyer. So, I went to law school. I actually did my first law school in England, and then I finished my school here in LA at USC. And once I was done with law school, I was working as in house counsel for a corporation. Then I also worked as corporate and IP associate, and I advised seven figure and eight figure businesses on their IP portfolio. So, that's what I was doing when I was a corporate associate. But I really got burned out pretty fast. I would say like, I think two, three years into my practice, I got burned out and I wanted a change. At the same time, I got married and my husband was abroad. He wasn't in the US at that point. And I wanted to spend more time with him. And I wanted to have that flexibility where I get to work on projects that I actually enjoy And I can travel the world, I can have my flexibility. So, all of this together kind of led me to start my own business. So in 2019, like this happened in 2018 is when I decided I want to go out on my own. In 2019, I was mainly freelancing for other law firms, providing IP services for their clients, and I was traveling. So 2019 was a lot of fun. I didn't really take much pressure about business growth, business development. I just wanted to freelance and travel. So once that Part was done. And my husband and I, we finally settled down in our home in Los Angeles. In 2020 is when I started my business. Officially, I would say like that's when it started. So yeah, that's my story in a nutshell on how I got started.
0: Well, I love that your burnout led to a pivot in your career, as opposed to you abandoning it and saying, I'm going to try something completely different. You were able to find a different angle. I'm assuming that's how you became a virtual lawyer, right?
1: Yes, yes. So the burnout actually did play a really big part. I wanted like a business model and a business structure that didn't lead to burnout anymore. And the virtual model at that point to me, seemed really great because I was doing, I am still doing transactional work primarily. I stopped going to courts. I stopped doing litigation. So if I'm not really doing litigation, I don't have to be physically present to work on my clients' matters. So I designed my whole practice to be virtual, that I do have an official business address. Since the pandemic started, I haven't really gone there other than to just pick up mail. But even before the pandemic started, I would go there like every once in a while to work out of that space. Otherwise, I was pretty much a you know digital nomad in 2019. I was traveling, I was working from anywhere. So the virtual model worked out great for me.
0: It seems like there's so many attorneys that are cemented into practicing in just one place. So the idea of being virtual in law just seems so foreign to me, but it's just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's great.
1: Yeah. yeah, there were not a lot of lawyers that were doing virtual practice, but I think since last year, I've actually seen more and more lawyers enter the, you know, online business world or uh, enter this virtual practice model because, yeah, uh, uh, just like everyone else, even the legal industry had to pivot and adapt to the pandemic. And so, yeah, now I think you'll see a lot of more lawyers are coming into this space. Yeah.
0: Well, does being a virtual make it challenging to know the laws in every state and possibly other countries? Or are there some things that are, you know, that translate over state lines?
1: That's a great question. So in the US, the rule is that basically, you can only practice in the state that you're licensed in, if you're practicing on state law matters. If you're practicing on federal law matters, it doesn't matter what state you're licensed in. You just have to be licensed somewhere. So for me, I'm in California. I handle state law matters in California. However, my practice area is primarily federal law. So I do intellectual property, which is 90% federal law, then data privacy, things like that are pretty international, the rules are international, and they're the same across the board, more or less. So For my practice area, it actually works out great to be virtual. And if I have to look up any laws, I can just do it through the online libraries that are available. I don't have to physically go in anymore, but it depends definitely from practice area to practice area. Like, I think it would be very different for someone practicing family law. It would be very jurisdiction specific. You would only do it in the state or even in that particular part of the state where you're in, because you have travel, you have to go to court. But for my area of work, everything is primarily online. So it works out for me.
0: As far as filing, say for a DBA or FBN or even an EIN, do you recommend that a small business owner get help in doing that too? Or is it easy enough to do? Like at what point do you need to hire an attorney?
1: That's a great question. So I would say that you can do all of that on your own, but you have to know how to do it right. So these are legal documents. And with the EIN, for example, you can go on the IRS's website and you can fill it out on your own. However, there are questions in there, which you have to know how to answer correctly. They will ask you about what's your plan about hiring employees when you start this business. And so those are the kind of questions that can make someone wonder like, okay, what am I supposed to write here? That's when you actually need an attorney's guidance. So I always tell small business owners that if you want to do the filings yourself, you want to get your own EIN, you want to set up your own LLC, that's perfectly fine. But even before that, talk to a lawyer and at least ask them the questions that you have to fill out to get these forms filed properly. They're online. You can get a snapshot of those questions as well. And if you want to do it yourself, like you're confident you can handle it yourself, but still talk to a lawyer before that and just ask them like, okay, what do I answer here? If you're confused, because these are legal documents, you don't want to go on and write something down when you're unsure about it, because it'll have consequences. It has a consequence on how your tax is calculated, how much money you're paying, what is your structure going to look like how you're able to hire people. So because it has such heavy consequences, I would say that you speak to a lawyer at least and make sure that you know what you're putting into those forms if you're going to file it yourself.
0: Yeah. Well, that makes so much sense. But it always feels so intimidating to pick up the phone and call <laughs> an attorney for some reason. <laughs>
1: yeah, I know. I heard that actually from a number of people that it just feels very intimidating. But I hope it changes because now, like, for example, I am pretty accessible online. I have my social media uh, platforms through which people can get in touch with me. And I know, like, there are other attorneys as well who are now making themselves more accessible and you know more i would say modern in their ways of handling things so it's not as intimidating as it used to be before people used to think that if you call a lawyer you're pro- probably paying them like 300 400 dollars just to talk to them right yeah and now it's not like that like lawyers will still charge you a consultation fee because they're still providing you with legal advice when you do give them a call but it's like a third maybe of it or less And that's what I've seen with many online lawyers now. They just do that because we realize that for small businesses, number one, it's intimidating. Number two, if someone's just giving you that much money, they need to know you upfront, like they need to trust you. And most of the time when you're contacting a lawyer, you don't know them that much, you know, like you will make contact with them for the first time, talk to them for the first time. So keeping all that in mind now, like even the consultation structure is different for many, many attorneys. It's not as intimidating, hopefully.
0: I think it's a well-received change. You know, I, I do think that if you're like you're saying, if you're on social media, it helps people to feel like they already know you a little bit and, and maybe it won't be so scary to make that phone call.
1: Exactly. Exactly. That's how I like to get to know people who are contacting me as well. Like If you're contacting me on Instagram, like I'll actually go check out your profile. I'll check out your profile. I'll see, okay, what products or services you're selling, so I can have a better conversation with you. So when we get on the, we, when we get on our consultation call, there's already a level of comfort or familiarity, if you, you want to say that, like, yes, it's yeah. not like you're talking to a complete stranger. We've kind of seen each other on social media, and now we're just talking about your business. So it's yeah, it's definitely changed, and hopefully it keeps changing for the better.
0: Oh, <laughs> I'm sure. it will. yeah, I mean it's definitely going to open the door. I think for more business too. So,
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, as far as a business that's starting out, like how do you make the choice to trademark or copyright? Like when does that decision come into play?
1: Okay. So, this is a, you know, very common question actually that I get that when is the right time to get a trademark or get a copyright? And truth be told, like if I tell you as a lawyer, the right time for you to map out your IP is at the very beginning, maybe not every part of it, like maybe not your copyrights, all of that. But your trademark, for example, trademark has to do with your brand name, it has to do with your brand logo, it has everything to do with your brand identity elements. So when you're just starting out, what name you pick for your business, we want to know that whether that name is even available. And most of the time small businesses who are just starting out who don't have this, who never got this information before, they they don't think it's important. They'll worry about it, you know, maybe one year down the line, two years down the line when they're already generating revenue. That's like that's most of the time when people start thinking about this. But truth be told, the time to think about at least your trademarks is at the very beginning. So you at least know, okay, if the name is available and if you can use it. Because you never know, you might be using someone else's registered trademark like unintentionally, unknowingly. But that is that is committing IP violation. And if they want to shut you down, they can. If they want to come after you, they can. That's the whole point of having a trademark is to stop other people from using your name. So I would say at the very beginning, at least see if the name you want is available and if you can use it. And if you can use it, and this is like you've decided, this is the brand name, this is my business name, this is what I'm going to go with. I don't plan on changing it. If if you've decided on it, then try to have it trademarked as soon as possible. It's it's better to do it sooner rather than later. Copyrights, I would say you can still delay a little bit because it has more to do with your creativity and the contents of your programs, all of that. So or the designs that you make for your uh, like for your marketing, the graphic design. So copyright has everything to do with more creative side. So that develops over time and that you can handle you know, a little bit later down the line. However, trademarks are your brand name. So that's at the very beginning stages of your business is what I would say that you look into
0: it. Okay, I second that. Yeah. <laughs> I waited far too long to trademark my name and
1: yeah. it,
0: you know, we ran into some bumps in the road along with what you were saying of people using the name. Yeah, and the more your your business grows, I think what people forget is especially if you're on a like big platform like Amazon or Etsy, mm-hmm. I found that as your brand grows and you're shipping to all 50 states and even overseas, before you know it, somebody who is getting your package or somebody who received a gift from someone else that has your name on it, all of a sudden your name is maybe enticing to somebody way in a a whole different place. So I do think it's important to at least consider, like set a deadline. You know, I want to do it by two months in or three months in, or if it looks like this is really taking off. Otherwise you end up waiting many years like I did.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, sometimes it works out for people to wait many years, maybe if they want to rebrand, like they're not sure. right. Um, then, then it's okay. But if you are like 100% sure, like, no, this is it. This is my name. And like, I say this to a lot of coaches as well, because when they come out with their signature programs, and the programs have been out there, and they've come up with like such beautiful names for their programs. And they then see like other people, sometimes, unfortunately, people who have taken their uh, courses or participated in those programs are now using Kind of like a derivative name of that. And then they feel like, oh, that's not really fair, but why would they do that? But what I tell them is that intellectual property rights are private rights, which means that the government or anyone else will not enforce it for you. It's not like, you know, personal injury or family law where, okay, there are statutes. If you violate that, automatically you're kind of getting held accountable. It's not like that. You as the IP owner, it's your responsibility to protect your IP and to enforce your IP rights. So that's what i told them that if you didn't register your trademarks, you never to- you never put up the R symbol next to your name to let people know that you're serious about protecting it. And when they you saw that they were kind of using it, you still didn't say anything. You're kind of taking a step back from all of your rights and just letting people use it. And it- abuse it. So you have to step in like at the very beginning, get your mark, Registered if you can. And after that, be very vigilant. If you see someone is using your name or something similar to your name to sell their own programs, courses, or even products, just stop them. Let them know that you have an intellectual property registered right. Show them the certificate. Let them know they can't use it without your permission. Like enforce your right. Don't just sit on the sidelines and let it pass you by.
0: Yeah, I, I would imagine that's probably a little difficult to do. But if you have an attorney and they can type Type up a letter for you. Must make yeah. it so much easier <laughs> yeah. than to be the one knocking on the door saying, "Hey, I don't like that you infringed on my, you know, intellectual property."
1: Absolutely. I think an attorney's letter definitely, the, like, the tone is different. The, the exactly the importance is very different. So yeah, I totally agree. Like, th- I think this is also one of the reasons why it's good to actually just know an attorney, even if you're not working with them like all the time. It's good to know, like, okay, at least there's a person. This is the person I can call. This person or talk to this person and ask them questions when I have business related questions. I think that is very, very helpful.
0: Yes, for sure. Well, I think also that as a small business owner, especially those of us that are selling on handmade sites like Etsy or Amazon handmade, we tend to feel like our products don't need disclosures. But for example, if you're selling candles, you know, I wonder, is it necessary to have a disclosure about possible fires? Or if you sell jewelry, like I do, do I need to disclose possible choking hazards? I don't feel like as a small business owner especially as a creative business owner that we really understand how much you need to disclose and I don't know if you could just touch on that a little
1: sure so this is a very very interesting point so these liability laws that are you know out there which tells business owners what kind of disclosures and warnings they have to put on their products it varies from state to state mm-hmm. so each state will have a different threshold like in California it's a pretty heavy threshold like you have To uh, disclose whether or not your products contain any toxic materials in it. If it's going to be used by children, there has to be a certain kind of disclosure. So it definitely depends from state to state. However, a good rule of thumb is that if you're going to only sell in one state, then talk to an attorney and understand what, what kind of warnings or disclosures you have to provide. However, if you're shipping internationally and all across the country, then it's impractical for you to do state by state. And if you're a small business owner, it's very impractical because you won't have the legal resources to figure out, okay, for Nevada, this is my warning. For Wyoming, that's my warning. Instead of that, I would always recommend small business owners, especially if you're selling on Etsy and other creative sites, that you have a sort of like a Q&A or like a disclosure that that you send with your products anyway. And it just puts out the basic information. Like I know, like when you're selling candles, you shouldn't be writing like careful. This might burn you, right? right. <laughs> like that's pretty common sense. But if there is a specific way that you think the candle is going to be safer for use, put it down there. No harm. There is no harm in being careful. So if the candle contains some kind of ingredients or materials that you think could be toxic for some people, if it's all organic, that's different. But if there's chemicals in it, just disclose it. This candle has this this chemicals. If you're allergic to any of it, don't use it. This contains small parts. Keep it out of children's reach. Like these kind of like disclosures that you'll see on like major products. Like if a Revlon is selling a hair dryer, they will have these kind of warnings, like keep away from water, things like right. that. They are required by law, but I think sometimes it's also just you're trying to be safe because there's no way you can figure out the law of each state individually and prepare warnings like that. So it's best to have like a blanket disclosure notice, which more or less gives a fair warning about your product. And then at least if something goes wrong and if someone is suing you for product liability that your product caused me this kind of damage you can at least point to that notice that you sent that disclosure notice that hey you know we put out all of this stuff here and you should have seen the warning notices it uh, it builds up for a good defense okay so, yeah like i would say just that maybe include something blanket something small and just include it with all your product
0: okay well with the liability what is the most important thing to consider when you're picking from Sole proprietor to limited liability or an LLC. Like, what? How do you think a small business owner should look at that question?
1: Okay, so I think that as a small business owner, it's a great idea to switch to being an LLC. I speak for like product based businesses now because we were talking about Etsy. So, say for example, you're selling on Etsy, you're selling on Amazon. You start off as a sole proprietor, as most small business owners do. They'll start off as uh, as an individual. Because you're still trying to understand the market, you're trying to understand if this is going to work. But when you are seriously in business, let's say you've given it a few months, you know, okay, this is working, this is how I have to do it. At that time, it's a good idea for you to shift to an LLC model or a corporation model. For folks who are just starting out and they haven't had experience doing corporate formalities with these kinds of entity structures, it's LLCs in a way a better structure because there's less corporate formalities associated with it. And it's also easier to maintain. And when you decide to make that shift that, okay, now I'm going to form a company, definitely speak to a lawyer in your state. So if you're in Texas, speak to someone in Texas. If you're in California, speak to a California attorney because the LLC or the corporation laws are different from state to state. Okay. So you're liabilities and your obligations will be very different but it's definitely a good idea to set up a company rather than operating as a sole proprietor for a long time because when you set up a company you are shielded from liability somewhat, because that's the whole point of setting up a company is that the company takes liability instead of you as an individual. So if, for example, you're selling on Etsy and one of your customers want to file a lawsuit against you, worst case scenario, they're unhappy with whatever happened, some kind of injury happened while using the product, something bad happened, and now they want to sue you. If you have an LLC or corporation set up, they can't sue you individually, they have to sue the company if you're doing business under the company's name, if you're doing business as an individual, they can just come after you come after your personal assets, whatever personal assets you have house car, whatever it is. But when you're getting sued as a company, they can only go after the company's assets, also you as an individual are shielded. So that's one of the biggest reasons. And that is actually the biggest reason why people set up companies is that you are trying to show to the world that your company and you are two different legal entities. And when the business is being done, anything related to the business needs to go through the company, including lawsuits and liabilities. So I would say for small businesses, that whenever they decide to make the shift, speak to a lawyer and try to make the shift as soon as possible. Some people will start off with an LLC. I have clients who've come to me with ideas of products and they wanted to know how to get started from basically from like scratch from the start. How do we start? So that's how we start. We set them up with an LLC first. That is step one. And then step two is you look at the IP side. So yeah, I would say like as soon as small business owners can, they should think of doing the switch.
0: Yeah. That sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Especially like you were saying, when you do have a small business, I imagine it would probably end everything if you did have a lawsuit to face. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: like it would be I I think it would be devastating for a lot of small business owners especially if you're in your baby stages if you're in your first or second year a lawsuit like that yeah it can completely run you out of business so it's it's definitely a great relief when you know there is a shield in front of you
0: right for sure well can you tell me about the services that you offer
1: sure so I primarily offer a lot of federal uh, legal services. So I can work with clients pretty much from across the country. We work on trademarks, we help with registering your trademarks, prosecuting it, defending it. We also work on copyrights. So any kind of creative work you have, you write a book, you have a podcast, you're producing music, you're a graphic designer, whatever kind of creative expressions you have, and that's part of your business, all of that falls under copyright law. So we do copyrights as well. And then also business contracts, because that is essential. Every business relationship you have should have written contracts in place. So we do that. And for California, I handle the corporate side as well. So we'll do corporate mergers, uh, and then restructuring, things like that. But that is uh, only for California. And I do for Delaware as well. But other than that, contracts, trademarks, copyrights, data privacy, that's basically nationwide. I actually just launched mycontracthub.com in December of 2020. It's my first venture into the e-commerce world, but it's mycontracthub.com is for contract templates, essential contract templates that small business owners would need. So we have a contract bundle there for product-based businesses. So it will cover your privacy policy, your terms and conditions, if you're selling products, then we have one for service based businesses. And we also have an NDA and independent contractor agreement. So all the essential contracts that you need is on that website. So you can go check that out. And for affiliate marketing, affiliate marketing links and the disclosures you would provide, that kind of depends on the kind of affiliate marketing you're doing. If you're doing product-based affiliate marketing, or if you are an affiliate for a service provider or for a coach, it'll depend the kind of disclaimer you would use on your website. So I don't have that as a template up on my contract but I'm actually working on it because this is an inquiry that I've been getting a lot. So I think I'm going to make a template on affiliate marketing like disclosures and also put that up on the website.
0: Oh, that would be great. It seems like there's so many opportunities for being an affiliate for a lot of different products or you know, even if you do sell your own product and you want to email your clients, it seems like there's always a little bit of a gray area as to what you can use their email for, or how often you can email? I, there's just so many questions. So I can't imagine not having somebody to ask all these questions to, because you're probably getting clients once they've crossed the line or they've you know put, found themselves in hot water, which would probably be like the worst time to.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. I think that's what happens most of the time. Is sometimes I will get clients who are you know not in the hot water, and they just realize, okay, now is a great time to get serious about protecting their IP. But most of the time, yes, someone will come to me and say, I've seen this person is using my design or using my name. I want to stop it. So how do we go about it? So then we would start the whole process like, okay, let's get your trademark registered first, and then we'll deal with enforcing it. So I think one important piece of information that I would definitely like to share with your audience and whoever is going to listen to this eventually, is that legal education is so, so important. Even as a small business owner, it's just important for you to know what your rights and responsibilities are. So you can navigate that according to your own terms. When you decide you want to file a trademark, that's fine. When you decide you want to have a contract, that's fine. But at least you have to have the knowledge that, okay, I need to do this and I need to do that next. I think that piece of knowledge is missing from the small business world. And and, that I feel is important, that just people should, should know. Like, you know how we have now a lot of business coaches that will teach you the way of running a business and will provide information to you. I think for legal, there is a gap. Like there's something that needs to be there to address that as well, because you know it, there's no getting around it. These are mandatory things everyone has to follow. If you're running a business, you have to follow certain rules and regulations, but there's also provisions in the law that help you make your business more profitable. It helps you make it more strong and more long-lasting. It helps you monetize it much faster. So those pieces of information, I wish that more business owners would know. And it's kind of one of my goals for 2021, at least on my social media page, to share more information like that.
0: Well, I think you've made it attainable by being so transparent. That's really going to help a lot of people. I love that whole approach to it.
1: Thank you.
0: Well, how can we connect with you?
1: You can connect with me on Instagram. That's where I mostly like to hang out. So my Instagram handle is at esquire I'm also on Facebook. The page is the same. It's at Esq. Also on TikTok with the same name, but I don't really post that much on TikTok. I'm more of a TikTok consumer. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you can find me on social media with at Esq. and also my website, which is nh legal.net.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you, Nuzara. This has been a real eye-opener.
1: Thank you. It was so much fun talking to you.
0: Well, there you have it, my friend, another incredible CEO changing the way we do business. I love that Nuzara has made law a fun thing to share. She's taken a field that has traditionally been a struggle for a small business owner to approach and has given everyone the key to understanding the basics. It's so important to have your bases covered when you're getting into business, especially when it comes to legalities that are sometimes difficult to understand. Don't forget to visit the show notes to connect with Nazira. I promise you'll thank me for this one. I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to the Handmade CEO podcast. Don't forget to check the show notes to get a glimpse of today's featured guest and special offers. If you love the show, leave a review and share this episode with a friend. Thanks for tuning in. Now it's your turn to start handcrafting your dream job.